All right, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. It's a, uh, another day of celebration, so uh, today's all about fathers, and so keep them in your hearts and in your minds. Um, for many, it's a day where a father's not here. For others, it's a day where um, it can be a difficult day. At the same time, it can be an incredible day. Uh, the father wound for some people is one of the hardest wounds to get over, so uh, I just want you to spend some time today thinking about your heavenly Father uh, and what He's provided for you today, and uh, it's one of those things. Um, we're starting a new series today, and as you know, I always get excited about new series because it means I get to use a new slide, and, uh, and since we stay in our series for, you know, days, months, years, um, every new series is kind of a neat thing. His name was Ned. He was 1994. He was born January 1st, 1990. Uh, when I saw him, he was 94 years old. He was my patient. He lived in Wickenburg, Arizona, a mining town about 70 miles northwest of Phoenix, where we lived and where I was in practice. He would come to see the big city dock on his red into town. He attributed his great physical shape and his mental clarity to the fact that he had been mining for gold for over 72 years. Every day down at the river, every day looking for gold. The first time I met him, he asked me, Doc, have you ever been mining for gold? I said, sure, yeah, once we were on vacation, I, I got this pan, we were at a tourist stop, I went down to the river, mined for gold. Yeah, I've been there, done that. He said, no, 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 no. Have you ever panned for gold? Do they just give you a pan and point you towards the river? Or do they explain to you why you're down there? He just looked at me and shook his head. He said, shoot, Doc, I know you'd never really pan for gold. I can tell by looking in your eyes. You never pan for gold because you don't believe it's there. And because you don't believe it's there, you're not going to work for it. You're not going to try to find it. You never pan for gold a day in your life, he used to tell me. So I asked him, have you ever found gold? He laughed, he looked off in the distance and smiled, and he said, yeah, once you find it, you can't stop looking for it. Been panning for over 70 years, because I know it's there. I've been thinking a lot about Ned over the last few months as I've been planning this series. I came across a quote about panning for gold. You don't do this to get rich. You learn real fast why gold is worth so much, because it's hard to find. Sometimes it's right in front of you, but you don't see it. You get distracted. You pour through so much sand, and it's really hard work, but when you find it, it's the most glorious thing. I think panning for gold is a lot like Bible study. Most of us take the tourist approach. We get the book, and we skim the water. Not really looking for deeper truths, not really looking intently, because we're not really sure anything's really there anyway. Like the tourists by the river, we start out enthusiastically. But if we don't immediately find gold, we give up pretty quickly. Spend a lot of time looking, but we're not willing to invest much time and effort into it. Because honestly, we don't think there's really gold there. 
Or maybe we think there's gold there, but somebody else will find it and give it to us. Or maybe there's gold there, but it's for somebody else, not us. This book contains gold. But as Ned would say, you you have to believe it's there. You have to be willing to work for it, because once you find it, you can't stop. The Bible contains gold, and it doesn't yield itself to the lazy. That's why we're starting this series. There may be gold and then there are hills, but God guarantees there's gold in this here book. Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to the, be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the droppings of honeycomb, drippings of honeycomb. The Jewish rabbis used to give their students honey when they studied the Bible to remind them of the verse and to associate the study of Scripture with something sweet. They would also say that the honey helped put you in a good mood because the Word was going to knock you down. They wanted you to be prepared for that. Now, I thought about giving you guys some gold today, um, but it's not going to happen. So instead, I just made sure that there's bits of honey for you. Uh, So if you didn't get it on your way in, they're around. Uh, We'll have bits of honey for you every week of this series. So uh, I can't do gold, but I can do a bit of honey. Now, I believe this series could be one of the most valuable things God has given to us because I believe your ability to pick up this book, to understand what God is saying to you, not to me, to you, and the process... God, process with God that truth in your life is the second greatest thing we could give you as pastors. No doubt in my mind. I told the group last night at our service, if you, if you tell me what you believe about this book, I'll tell you what your future is going to look like. It's that simple. If you believe this book is God's holy truth, if you believe every word in it's true and you're surrendered to it, your future looks incredible. You think anything else, it looks horrible. It's that simple. The greatest gift we can give you as a pastor is to teach you to feed yourself. I call this series Bible 101 because we're going to learn together how to go deeper into the Word, to search for the gold, the treasure that God's placed in these ancient historical documents, treasure He expects that we'll find, and treasure that God expects us to diligently search for. The series is not an overview of the Bible. It's not a series about the historical development of the Bible. We're not going to cover how the book of the Bible was collected. We're not going to cover how we know the book is accurately copied and translated. We can deal with those on other times. This series is going to focus on the nuts and bolts of how to actually pick up this book for yourself. Put the effort in to understand it. Find the nuggets of God's truth in it and allow those truths to transform your life. Our goal is that you will gain confidence in your ability to understand God's Word, that you'll meet Him in the pages, and that you won't depend on somebody else to grow you spiritually. 
at every corner. Occasionally, people will come to me after I preach a sermon and they'll say, how did you see that? I've read that verse over and over and over. And yeah, it's there. I never saw it before. In this series, we're going to do two things. We're going to study Paul's letter to the Colossians, and we're going to study how to actually study the Scriptures. There are some sound approaches to studying Scriptures that I want to share with you. Knowing these basic principles will keep you out of the weeds when you study the Bible. Now, during this series and all that follow, I want you to bring your study Bible. If you don't have one I want you, and you don't know how to select one, there is a video on Frank Bible Truth YouTube channel where I walk you through how to decide what kind of Bible you should get. So watch that. You need a good study Bible, not just a Bible. So bring a study Bible. Bring a notebook. Something to write in. Expect that God may actually tell you something you want to write down. Sermons, as always, will be printed online through our website. You can print those and follow along. During this series, you're going to need to block time to listen to and study the sermon again during the week. You can listen at the uh, Frank Bible Truth podcast. You can watch it at the YouTube channel. You can watch it on our website. You can watch it on Boxcast. It's also available on Vimeo, and it's also available on the Facebook page. So you can find it somewhere. Also, from the beginning, remind yourself that learning to read and understand God's Word is hard work. It requires diligence. It takes time out of your day. It'll take you a lifetime, and you'll never grasp it all. It's a book written from an infinite God being understood by very finite human minds. There's always deeper places to go. What makes finding gold more challenging is that this ancient text was actually encrypted by God. It requires an encryption key to understand it. So for a moment, I want you to pick up your Bible and hold it in your hand. Or pick up the one next to you, which can now be your Bible if you want. I want you to really look at it. Really look at it. Think about what you have in your hand. You hold in your hand a collection of ancient writings. These words were once written on papyrus. The same words you're reading are the same words that people 2,000 years ago read on papyrus. Handed down from generation to generation. Copied with exact standards. Translated by people who got killed doing it. These words have been hidden in the hearts of believers for over 2,000 years. Many memorized them because carrying them was too risky. People have been martyred while holding this book. Many copies of this book have been found covered in martyrs' blood. People have tried to burn every copy of this book. They burned the people who made copies of this book. And they burned people who they found with copies of this book. For all of the history up to the third century... No one had a complete collection of these books. David didn't have them. Solomon didn't have them. Nobody had them. The letters were rare. They were read with great respect because a, 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 an apostle wrote a letter to us. That was a huge deal. Yet you hold all of them in your hand. You can look at them whenever you want. You can compare them side by side. That wasn't available for most people. Yet no matter 
how hard men try to stop people from reading these words. Here it is in your hand. It's a miracle that it's here. We take it for granted. It's incredible that God's word is in your hands after everything the world has done to try to stop it. You're holding a historical treasure. It might have been printed recently, but the words are historical. More valuable to you than all the gold and all the mountains of the world. In fact, the word of God given to you in these pages are not only historical, they're eternal. The truths we learn from this book will be as true in heaven 40 billion years from now as they are today. And as they were 2,000 years ago when they were written. When we watch the universe, and I've talked about it before, the scriptures say we will watch the universe be destroyed in fire as God creates a new world. We will outlive Mars. We will outlive the universe. And when we do that, we'll be holding on to this book. Because this book will never go away. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Additionally, Jesus warns us, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from this law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The book that you and I hold in our hands, throw in the back seat of our cars until next Sunday and leave next to our bed unopened, hopefully not, was given to you with great sacrifice. Never pick up this book without realizing what it took to get it to you. People died to get this book to you. Other people died reading it. Many have died living it. Millions have never died because of it. Skimming this book, doubting the treasure that's really there, dishonors it and the God who wrote it. Do you know what will determine the impact this book has on your life? There are two critical things that we have to address before we go too far. Do you truly believe the gold is there and you're willing to search for it? Do you have the encryption key that unlocks these sacred texts? Have you ever noticed that all those who are searching for God, or, or searching for gold, are, are always holding some kind of treasure map? Kind of a guide that leads them to the treasure, a map that's encrypted. You have to fold it just a certain way or look at it just under the right light in order to see the truth that it reveals. Having the map is not enough. You have to know how to use it. You, you can get close, but you really can't find the treasure unless you really have the encryption, the unlocking that shows you where the treasure really is. Only those who are diligent actually find the treasure. In the same way, God's word is encrypted too. Like a treasure map, anybody can read God's word. But only those with the encryption key can understand God's word. Find the treasures that he left for those who believe and are willing to search for them. Anyone can study the Bible. Every person in this room can get historical facts and make some observations. But not everyone in this room can understand the Bible. 
Universities and TV shows are full of people who study the Bible, have degrees in the study of the Bible, and yet misunderstand the Bible because they don't have the encryption key. The key that unlocks the mystery that this book contains. We stated earlier that God wrote this book to us, and unlike every other book in the library, this is a spiritual book. It's not an earthly book that can be understood by humans in the flesh. These words came from heaven. These words are eternal. These words bring life, spiritual life, to those who are dead. Contained in these historical pages are spiritual truths that humans can't understand. No matter how diligently we study, no matter how many degrees we obtain, this spiritual book must be taught by the Spirit of God and read in the Spirit of God. God encrypted this text so that only those who have the Holy Spirit can hear the teaching and unlock the mysteries that are contained in this book. That those who superficially pick up this book and think they understand it because they've read it, but they do so without the teaching of the Holy Spirit, miss everything that's important in this book. God left mysteries in this book for those who are willing to search for them and only for those who trusted in Jesus as their Savior. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're not spiritually discerned. Because they're spiritually discerned. God tells us this book was written by him. It must be taught by him. And he will guide us to the treasures that it contains. The encryption key to understand this book is the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Remember that Jesus said he would leave the Holy Spirit to teach us all things. What things? Words not taught by human wisdom, spiritual truths that must be revealed by the Spirit of God. Our televisions, universities, and even seminaries are full of people who claim to be biblical scholars and who've never surrendered to Jesus. They don't accept the things of the Spirit and they're not able to understand them. They have human degrees with impressive resumes, but the most simple-minded person with the Spirit of God knows far more than they'll ever know. God says that these words are folly to those who've rejected Jesus and are void of the Spirit. He left his text, his words from his throne to us as his believers. But they're only revealed to those who have the Spirit of God. The first thing you must know before you pick up the book to study it, you must have the Spirit of God to understand the Word of God. Second, with the spiritual mysteries of God in our hand and the spiritual guidance of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, 
We must decide if we will prioritize the pursuit of the spiritual goal that God promises to us. Ned panned for gold for 72 years until I'm sure up until the day he died. I believe that he probably dropped dead down by that river one day. And he'll be panning until his very last breath. He never stopped believing the gold was there. He never believed for a second that it wasn't worth pursuing and it wasn't worth his time to find it. That's how I want to die. Grasping God's word until my very last breath. Ned never doubted that the gold was there. Knowing that truth kept him panning. So we have two prerequisites for the study of God's word. First is to surrender to Jesus, to be reborn spiritually, and to have the Holy Spirit as your guide to show you spiritual things. Then and only then, you have to decide if you truly believe God's mysteries exist, that you can unlock them and he expects you to and has them waiting for you. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that the Holy Spirit will guide you to all truth? Do you believe these mysterious truths are in the text waiting to be revealed? Do you believe God wants to reveal them specifically to you? And are you willing to pursue those truths no matter how hard it gets or how long it takes? Otherwise, you're going to be going down B Ridge at 20 miles an hour. Stopping at green lights, signaling left and turning right. In other words, you're going to stay a tourist. That was funny. Okay, once those issues have been settled in our hearts, we need to understand why the study of this book is so important to us as believers in Jesus. Bible study is essential for three things. First, it's essential for spiritual growth. You will not grow as a believer if you don't have that book in your hand all the time. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn infants long for your pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. As a new Christ follower, this book is like milk for you. We not only want it, we long for it and we crave it. We have to have it, but there's one thing. As infants, somebody has to go get it for us and bring it to us. They have to take care of us. They have to grow us because we don't know how to grow ourselves. When you first surrender to Jesus Christ, you're full of enthusiasm, but you don't know how to grow. You don't know what to do with this book. Somebody's got to come and nurture you and guide you and teach you and show you and feed you until you grow up enough to feed yourself. You're dependent on the people that love you to nurture you when you're new in the faith. So Bible study is essential for spiritual growth. Second, Bible study is essential for spiritual maturity. At some point, all of us have to be weaned if we're going to grow up. Churches were never meant to be nurseries. Most churches in the country have become nurseries, encouraging people, supporting them as they refuse to grow up and feed themselves. The biggest problem in the church today is the absence of the Holy Spirit. Too many people are pretending to follow God. Too many people are sitting around waiting to be spoon-fed with nuggets of truth. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit in a believer or in a church, no one feeds themselves. It's like having parents that can't feed you because they're still breastfeeding themselves. Hebrews 
About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you've become so dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the very basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A healthy church has people in all stages of spiritual development. Some are growing in the beginning stages of God's word and they're living on milk because they have to. Others have moved on spiritually to more solid food. Some have grown to the point of feeding others. They've learned not only to follow the truths in this book, but to teach those truths to other people. We need solid food beyond the pure milk of God's word. The rewards come to those who not only follow the law, but teach it to others. So Bible study is essential for spiritual growth. It's essential for spiritual maturity. And third, it's essential for spiritual effectiveness. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is his young protege. Paul is teaching him how to lead in the church. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I wish we could call the Bible the sacred writings. Which we are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of scripture, every word, breathed by God, not written by man, breathed by God into man who wrote it down. Every word from the throne of God in heaven to the heart of his people on earth. All scripture is useful. That includes Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, everyone. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness? Do you remember that? Do you know that he quoted from Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy. What if your spiritual success tomorrow depended on your knowledge of Deuteronomy? Every word. When we know God's word and we know how to apply it, we become useful in God's hands. Our effectiveness for Christ is directly related to how well we understand God's truth. The word of God is the tool for your effectiveness. Now you're probably realizing by now that this is no ordinary book we're talking about. It was written by humans, but they weren't the author. God told them what to write. This is God's book to us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. Notice what it's for. Correction, training, pointing out things that need to change. Too many people expect God's word to just validate the sin that you want to live in or, or the, the task that you want to take on. When he says, no, no, this, this book, when you read it, it, it changes you. It's for correction. It's to make you a different person. It's to grow you to be more like Christ. God literally breathed it into existence. Just like he breathed life into us. He breathes life into his truth. Not only does he bring life to his words, he himself teaches us. Think about it. 
You never read this book alone as a Christ follower. When you read this book, the Holy Spirit is right there with you, pointing things out, showing you things, getting you to pay attention to things. If you slow down and listen, you'll understand that the Spirit of God is there to teach you the book, and He should know He wrote it. The mysteries are there to be found by those who believe they're there. As you read the Bible, there's just certain things just come off the page and God just kind of points them out to you. Highlighting things. It's like God's got a big yellow highlighter. And you read a verse and maybe you've read it a thousand times. All of a sudden you're looking at it and you're like, whoa, I never saw that before. What does that mean, God? Great, we're having a conversation now. The teacher can speak. And you begin to pour out, God, show me what that means. Show me why that word is that word. Show me why it wasn't some other word. Show me what happened in this text. I want to understand, God, because I need to know you. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our minds to understand. And then the Holy Spirit shows us how that truth is to be applied in our life. He's not in the business of information. He's in the business of transformation. So we have the Holy Spirit. We believe the promises of God. We know the gold is there. How do we get started? How should we approach the study of this book? Well, the first thing is you never pick up, pick up this book without praying. You invite the Holy Spirit to be present with you while you read his book. It'd be like going to a class in college. Let's say it's a chemistry class. And the professor wrote the textbook. And you're trying to learn chemistry. And so every day you come in and you open the book and you kind of skim through it and he's standing there waiting for you to ask him a question. But you never ask him. You never even invite him into the study. Everything we do with God starts on our knees asking for his help. You can't understand God's word if you don't ask him for help. When you read the Bible as Christ followers, you, you're having a divine discussion with the Holy Spirit, the all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God. You may be sitting in your living room, you may be at Starbucks, but something holy happens when you pick up that book. I usually start my Bible study with something like, God, I'm here. Speak to me, Holy Spirit, your servant is listening. The answer is yes before you ask. If I don't understand something, the problem is with me, not you. This word contains truth and I want to know it. Because if there's something in my life that's not true, I don't want to live it anymore because I only want what you want. So God, open up my heart to see what you have for me in this book. Second thing, we have to approach this text humbly. You want to know God. You decide before you open the book that you're already submitted to what he tells you to do. When we open this book, we have to ask ourselves, do I really want to do what he reveals no matter what? Am I ready to do what he says? If you approach this book and God knows in your heart you're not willing to do whatever he wants, he's not going to show you the gold because you don't really want it. We approach this book humbly. I say it all the time. We stand under it, submitted to it because it's God's word. We don't stand over it trying to make it say what we want it to say. And if we're uncomfortable about it, we're uncomfortable about it. Get over it. It's God's instruction to us. 
If we already knew what to do, we wouldn't need his instruction. We come to this book, broken sinners who've been saved by Jesus and handed truths that we don't even deserve to look at. And yet God has given them to us. We want to know God. We have to submit to the authority in these words. When we open this book, we have to ask, do I really want to know what this book reveals? Am I really willing to do whatever he says to do? Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Third thing, we have to approach this carefully. Bible study is a journey into a book. We have to take time. We have to be careful where we step. We, we don't want to misinterpret what the book says. We don't want to go into it with our preconceived ideas of what we need it to say. We don't want to twist this book and, and misinterpret it, have it say things it doesn't say. Fourth thing, simply. Our goal in the series that with just you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit, you can begin to connect to God and understand the writings of God. Simple. Most of the time what the Bible reveals is simple truth. God doesn't have to reveal detailed, crazy, unbelievable truth because we have a hard enough time following the simple stuff. Fifth, we approach this book confidently. Now notice I said confidently, not arrogantly. There's a huge difference. Our goal in this series is that the Holy Spirit will enable you to approach the book confidently. Just like you walk through the curtain into the Holy of Holies, confident in your salvation in Christ, when you open the Bible, even though you have no reason to deserve to even look at these ancient texts, you have to understand that that's exactly where God wants you. And because of Jesus, you belong there. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, you deserve to know the truth. God wants to reveal it to you, not just to me through, or to you through me or anybody else who teaches the word. God has put his presence in you so you can spend time with him learning the truths in the book that he has for you and your life. I say it all the time. I can't study the Bible for you. I can't pray for you. I pray for you every day. I can't pray in your presence. I can't be the person with God when he wants you to be with him. Sixth thing, consistently. We need to be equipped to study every text of every book. We need a method that we can apply to every scripture, a way of studying every scripture that we understand, whether we're in Philippians or whether we're over at Exodus, that we understand how to connect to God and the things we need to do to prepare ourselves to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. Seven, diligently. It'll take a lot of effort. Too many people say, well, I have the Holy Spirit, so I can just read and God will tell me what it says. No, he won't. No. That's just being spiritually lazy. God has given you a mind to dive into his word. And God's truth don't come to those who are lazy. When you go into that book, prayed up, prepared, humbly, ready to hear God's truth, willing to do whatever it says, already committed to whatever God wants you to do, anything, anywhere, anytime. I'm your servant, God. Hold my hand. Walk me through your scriptures. I'll do anything you tell me to do. And you're willing to dive into that book and find out what that is. It'll take a lot of effort. 
People come to Christ and we act like that's the goal of the spiritual experience instead of the starting point. Being saved is just the beginning of this experience. It's God's word that makes him Lord of your life. We hand people a Bible and we expect them to understand it. It's like handing them a pen and saying, go down to the river, you'll find gold. No, you won't. You're an infant in the faith. You don't know how to study the book. Or or you're an adolescent in the faith. You have more to learn. Or you're full grown in the space, which means you're an idiot still because God is so much bigger. And so still you have a lot to learn. We hand people a Bible and we expect them to understand it. Some have been Christ followers for 30 plus years and still don't know how to study the Bible. Why? No one's ever taught them. We just assume you'll figure it out. Someone gave you a pan and pointed you to the river. And you've never really found the treasure this book holds because you don't know how to find it. And no one's told you how to find it. Because no one has really shown you how to do it. Or convinced you in your spirit that the gold's really there. Eighth thing, we have to approach this book intentionally. Every time you read the Bible, block out time. Get a notebook and pen and expect God to say something to you. There's gold in this book. And when you find it, you want to make sure you write it down. Ninth thing, personally. God wants to walk through your life with you. He wants you to sit in his presence. He wants you to understand. He he wants that thrill of the moment you get it. And the moment you follow what he wants instead of what your heart's desire is. He wants those moments. He wants to share this with you personally. You can't live your walk with God through somebody else. Try this. Next time you're at home with your spouse, bring in a substitute. Try to live your relationship with your spouse through somebody else. They can tell you what happened during the day. They can read the things. They'll tell you what's going on. They'll have the intimate experiences that you missed out on. Go ahead and try to have a relationship with somebody through somebody else. It doesn't work. Bible study is personal, one-on-one interaction with God. No one can take your place. And God does not reveal his gold to the lazy. Okay, so with those things said, you having fun yet? Let me give you just a few things we got to avoid when we study the Bible. These are sort of sand traps along the fairway of Bible study that get you in trouble. The first thing you have to avoid is the emotional approach. You can't read the Bible going, well, God, show me what it says and I'll decide how that feels for me. You have to avoid the emotional approach. Many people, I'm going to read the parts I like, find the verses that make me feel good, and I'll avoid the parts of the Bible that I don't like like Lamentations or Jeremiah or the part where God destroys nations with children or the tithing part or that wrath of God part or the entire Old Testament, perhaps. You must explore and embrace every emotion in this book. That's why God put it there. We have to take the book in its entirety. We can't skip any of it. We can't ignore the Old Testament or say that part of it is God's word and another part's not or part of it's true and another part's not. We can't make more sections like grace more important than the sections on truth and correction. Why? Because God told us. Remember, all scripture is breathed out by God. 
and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Read it backwards. If you want to be equipped for every good work in your life, then you've got to let the Spirit of God take the Scripture of God and correct you and reproof you and train you in righteousness. All scripture, every word, breathe from God's throne straight to your heart. Second thing we have to avoid is the spiritual approach. Looking at every verse like, what is the deep meaning there? What can I see that no one else in the history of mankind has ever seen? What special meaning can I find in God's word that no one else has ever seen in 2,000 years of study? It seems like it means this, but what does it really mean? I think it really means something else. I hear what they're saying, but what are they really saying? The scripture says, Jesus wept. Okay, Jesus wept. What does that really mean? Well, it could mean that Jesus just wept. No, no, no. I think this represents the waterfalls that are coming from the fountain of God that fall through the water to the, no, no. Maybe it, maybe it represents, no, it means Jesus wept. This book was written by God so we'd understand it, not so we'd make things up in it. Avoid overanalyzing. If the Holy Spirit wants to show you something, he'll show it to you. Most of the time, the obvious meaning is the meaning. It's unlikely you're going to discover something that no one else has seen before. New revelations from the Word of God are dangerous. Let me repeat that. New revelations from the Word of God are dangerous. The Word tells us that God has completely revealed all that He is to reveal in the Scriptures. If you start saying that you've got some understanding that's not validated by Scripture, you're writing your own Bible, and the Word calls that blasphemy. Third thing, we have to avoid the pragmatic approach. A lot of people read the book saying, okay, what works best for me? I'm going to find a verse that supports what I want to do, I'm going to rip it out of context, and I'm going to use it to justify my selfish desires. I'll twist God's truth, and I'll make it my truth. It's a very arrogant, self-centered way to study the Bible. You miss the whole point. You come to the Bible with, okay, I've already decided I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm not coming to this book surrendered. I'm not coming humbly. I've already decided I'm going to live the way I want to live. I want to use the Bible to support my decisions. It's a dangerous approach. And it's extremely common. Using the Bible to justify what we want to do rather than surrendering to it and doing what God wants us to do. The fourth thing is we have to avoid the superficial approach. Often we read the book and we say, okay, what does that passage mean to me? That's not the question. God doesn't need your interpretation of the passage. You need your obedience of the passage. The real question is, what did the Holy Spirit want to convey to you in this passage? You see the difference? If you read a, a passage and you say, okay, what does that mean to me? What you're saying is those words are only valid when I decide what it means. God's word is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. He is the one that wrote the message. He is the one that has the message to us. The question should be when we pick up the book, what does the Holy Spirit say, and what do I do about it? Not what do I think it means. It has a meaning from God. 
once we determine what the Holy Spirit means in the text, then we're freed up to consider how that truth may apply in our life. The question is, what does this, not what this passage does for me, but rather what does this passage mean and how does that truth apply to me? Next week, we begin the study of Colossians. Let me give you a structure of how you can study your Bible, how you can approach Bible study. This process works with every piece of Scripture you'll ever pick up in your life. I'm going to show you four things that you should do every time you read Scripture. So get your pen out. Uh, This is also in the handout. It will also be uh, available. And, oh, by the way, before this series is over, I'm going to give you a bookmark with a lot of these things in them. Some of you may have it from, I did the bookmark uh, 10 years ago. So uh, if you uh, have it, I'll be printing new ones. So all this stuff you'll eventually have to carry in your Bible with you. Learn it and it'll become second nature. It'll be like driving your car. You won't even realize you're doing it and yet you're doing it. First thing, content. There are four C's. Somebody's holding up the bookmark. I like that. Nine years in your Bible. See, this is worth, this is good stuff. All right, content. When you pick up the book, the first thing in your mind should be exploration. What do I see? Think of yourself as a detective, okay? I'm going to make each of you first century detectives. That's your job. This book was written first and foremost to a first century audience. The more you can place yourself in their shoes, the easier it is to understand what's being written to them. When you pick up a passage of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, imagine that you're in the very first audience to hear the lesson or the letter that Paul wrote to them. Picture yourself actually there. I do this every time I start a new series. I'm in Colossae. I'm Jewish or I'm Gentile, depending on where the book is written. What issues am I facing in the first century? What does Paul mean to me? Why am I even reading his letter? How rare is it to get a letter? Receiving letters from the apostle was a huge deal in the first century. Picture the room. What do you see? Are other people with you? Are you hearing it? Are you reading it? What do you smell? What do you look? You're in the first century. Paul has taken the time to write a letter to you. Don't try to figure it all out. Just notice what you see in the text. Explore it like a detective at the crime scene. Just take it in, note it. Write down what you observe. Don't try to interpret it. Just write it down. When things seem out of whack, just write it down. You're just observing what the scriptures are telling you. Don't explain it yet. Don't try to jump to conclusions. Just notice what's there. Observe and note everything you see. When I read a scripture, I make notes about hundreds of things. Um, And in seminary, one of the things they had us do is you take a scripture, usually one or two lines, And they'd say, write down four to five things that you notice about the scripture. And you turn that in. They say, okay, now give me another 10. And then your final assignment was give me 50. Give me 50 observations you make about two sentences in the Bible. And you think, there's no way I can do that. And then you ask the Holy Spirit for help. And all of a sudden, you start finding all kinds of things in those scriptures. So the first thing is you observe everything. Content. What do I see? Second thing is context. Content, context. Context means you begin to start trying to put together what this is about. 
staying in the first century mindset, think about everything that you've seen in the text. What do you think it meant to the audience that first heard it? Why did Paul write the letter? What were they looking for? What parts did they like to hear? What parts were they angry about? What parts got them to storm out of the room and leave and never come back? Which parts got them to hold on to Jesus with everything they have? What was the impact of this letter on the first audience that ever read it? What were their emotions? What were their convictions? What were their concerns? What did Paul want them to do? Only after you have a pretty good general idea of that can you move to the next step. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to notice everything you can notice in the Scripture. Second thing is you're going to look at it from a first century audience, and you're going to try to understand everything that they would have been understanding and concerned about. And then and only then you go to the third one, connection. How does that information travel now to the 21st century in me? I understand what the, what the text, I get the observations, I sort of understand what it meant to them, does it travel into today for me? Should I apply those same truths to me today? What does it mean? How do I bring it home? How does it relate to my life? How well does the text travel? You see, we don't live in their culture. We live in ours. And God's truth is true across all worlds, across all time. But how does that text, how does that truth travel today? And then the last one is conduct. How do I apply this? Now that I've explored the truth, now that I know what it meant to the first audience, now that I've thought about how it applies to me, what does the Holy Spirit want me to do about it? It's like I'm not reading this book for information, I'm reading it for transformation. Unfortunately, most of us who study the Bible jump to the application part. We read the Bible quickly and then we say, okay, what does that mean to me? Well, the problem is, if we haven't observed everything that's there, if we haven't thought about how it would be received by a first century audience, if we haven't thought about how it transfers to a 21st century audience, we're going to miss the entire interpretation. You can't apply a truth until you fully understand what the God wants to tell you. Content, what do I see? Context, what did it mean to them? Connection, what does it mean in today's world? And conduct, what am I to do about it? If you apply those four C's to every scripture you read, you'll be blown away by how that word starts to come to life. It's important to understand also the type of literature you study. Some books in the Bible are hymns, some are historical archives, some are love letters, some are words of wisdom, some are letters. We're going to be studying a letter. Think about that as you read the Bible. What kind of literature am I reading? It's a letter. You wouldn't pick up a letter from a friend and start in the middle of it, right? You'd approach it from beginning to end because it's a letter. Each thought unfolds to the next. It's written from someone to someone. Who wrote it? Why did they write it? Who do they write to? You see, you're a detective. You're not just reading the word. Why did they take the time to write this letter to this group of people? What was so important that they were willing to write a letter and have somebody travel by foot and carry it there? What was so important that they wrote? They weren't sending emails. They were writing letters. It was hard to write a letter. You only wrote a letter if there's something important. What did they want to share? It also meant that that letter, when it was read... I saw a thing once that said that the average Jewish audience in the first century only saw four letters in their entire life. 
So when somebody said they had a letter and they were going to read it, everybody shows up to see this thing. It's like color TV or a microwave. I don't know. I remember when I was a kid, first time I saw a color TV. Everybody came to see the color TV, the little peacock with the colors. Everybody came. That's how that letter has to be read. It'll address some interesting topics. The book of Colossians in particular answers some questions. So before we study it, I'll just whet your appetite. The book of Colossians answers these questions. Do heavenly bodies like angels have any influence in our life today? And if so, how much? Do horoscopes actually work? Is there any relationship between diet and spiritual living? Does God speak to us immediately through our minds or only through his word, the Bible? Do the Eastern religions of today have anything to offer us as believers? Can we believe in a good God who has an evil world? If God is all loving, how do you explain evil? If God is all powerful, why didn't you just take sin away? If Christ died for our sins, why is there still sin in the world? Is Jesus the only way among many ways? All those are answered in the book of Colossians. This week, if you don't have one, get a study Bible. Get a notebook, get a pen or pencil. Your assignment's going to be simple. Block out time, 45 minutes to an hour. Sit down and read Paul's letter to the church of Colossae from beginning to end. At least once all the way through, but I encourage you to do it every day. Try to place yourself in that audience. Don't try to interpret it. Don't try to understand it all. Write down the things you notice. Things that seem to be right, things that seem to be weird. Questions that were asked that you wonder, why did he ask that? Why did he say that? Go slow and read through the letter from beginning to end like they would have read it when they received it. If you don't understand it all, it's okay. Ask the Holy Spirit just to show you what's in it. I'm not trying to get you to interpret it. I just want you this week to begin to understand how to look at it. You may be thinking 45 minutes is a long time. I don't have 45 minutes. Let me ask you to consider this. Do you really believe God's gold is there? Do you think he put gold in that book for you to find? Did it ever dawn on you that maybe he wants to see the excitement in your face when he reveals it to you? When for the first time, or maybe the first time in a long time, all of a sudden you realize that the God on the throne is actually teaching you something. And you're like wowed by that. And he's like, yes, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Spiritual nuggets are not given to doubters and they're not given to the lazy. Once you find gold, 45 minutes will never seem like enough. You'll suddenly find hours to sit down and study this book. Ned took one look in my eyes and knew that I'd never really panned for gold because I didn't believe it was there. He wasn't being mean, he was just being truthful. I meet believers all the time who've never really panned for God's gold in Scripture because they don't believe it's there. I can see it in their eyes. When I talk about it, they just go silent. They take the tourist approach, hoping someone else will find the gold for them, or maybe they could buy fool's gold in the store. If you don't know the truth and gold that's in God's word, there's always somebody around that'll sell you fool's gold and you won't be able to tell the difference. For those who have the Holy Spirit guiding them, 
Spiritual growth is not optional. Too many churches cater to people who've been believers for years and are still drinking milk, refusing to feed themselves and demanding more and more milk. Rather than challenging them, the church leaders make excuses for them. Not here, not at Remnant. If you're brand new to the faith, we have some wonderful milk for you and we will teach you along the way. You should completely depend on us early in your walk. You should. You need help. However, if you choose over the long haul to refuse to feed yourself, you will die spiritually. And we can't help you. What sustained you as an infant will never sustain you as an adult. No matter how much somebody gives to you. Let me take a risk here. I'm going to speak some truth that needs to be spoken and Here we go. It may seem like a rant. It's not. It's just truth that needs to be said. Part of being an adult is taking responsibility for your own actions and your own growth. Nobody can study God's word for you. I should not have to get up here on stage and beg you to read this book. We can teach you how to do it, but only you can do it. When you're corrected by those who God has placed in your life to lead you to a spiritual place that you can't get to on your own, stop being offended. Unless you're a brand new believer, you have pastors, elders, and more mature believers in your life to grow you, not nurse you. Get offended if you must, but get over it and then grow up. Many don't like this church for exactly this reason. We expect you to feed yourself. We expect you to read God's word on your own. We expect you to obey God's truth. We expect you to hold God's truth up as the standard that all conversations fall under. We expect that you actually want us to hold you accountable to the truth that's in God's word. Those who leave remnant often tell me the same thing. They tell me that I'm arrogant and that I'm unkind. I've heard it for years. It's not new. I'm not arrogant. But I have absolutely unwavering confidence in the truth that God has put in his book. And I refuse to waver from those truths, and I expect followers of Jesus to strive towards those truths. Sadly, because not all pastors hold to that standard, I'm seen as arrogant in comparison. I never boast about myself, but I will, with unwavering focus, demand that God's way is the only way. I expect us to know the truth and use it for decision-making and guidance in all decisions of our life. It's not debatable, and it's not interpretable. It's truth. When we know what God has said, we can have absolute confidence and unwillingness to waver from that truth. It may look arrogant, but it's actually boasting in the Lord. It's not our truth, it's gold from God's throne and we found it, how dare us not live it? Often those who like to be fed think it's unkind to demand that they grow up and feed themselves. They want their pastor to validate their spiritual laziness and make them feel good about it. They've been in church for 20, 30 years and they're still trying to get other people to feed them. They love the truth of God's word until the Holy Spirit convicts them through it. They come to church looking for validation instead of transformation. Jesus warned us about this. Enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Read what that verse really says. Those who find it are few. Do you think if you were going to take a trip and you had to go up a hard, narrow road and you had to have a guide lead you the way that you could get away with laziness? No. It's hard work following Jesus. It's hard work surrendering to his truth. It has to be the priority of your day. It's narrow. He says it's hard, but it leads to life. And since Jesus says that, what should his church look like? God is calling you and me to a way that's hard. We have to learn to feed ourselves. We have to believe that God's gold is really in these texts for us to find. And we have to know what to do with it when we find it. And we get to do it together. God is calling us to the place we need to be to make disciples of ourselves and of other people. The church pastors, elders, leaders, other people in your life are here to help you, but they're not going to do it for you. If you continue to attend church and not feed yourself and not fall into the teaching and not learn how to do this when we teach it to you, you will be left behind. People will grow more mature and you won't know what happened. Our job is not to feed you milk your whole life. Our God is to challenge you. That's our goal. We do it in love. There's nothing I would rather see than have every one of you so into the word you can't wait to get here and share with us what you've seen but I can see in too many eyes that you don't believe it's there. I think God wants us to begin to believe what he's told us. We're going to start a study of how to study. And in the process, we're going to open up our hearts to the writer of these texts. It's going to be an incredible journey, but it's not an easy one. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for all that you give us. God, sometimes we realize that we haven't prioritized you. We don't really like it when it's pointed out um, because we know it's true. I know, God, even as a pastor, I've not prioritized you the way I should. I think all of us know that we could spend more time with you. We could spend more time pouring into your truth. We could spend more time on prayer. God, would you burden us until we actually do it? Would you take the Holy Spirit that's in us and burden us until we actually begin to change? Help us, God, not to stay where we're at. Help us to open up this book knowing that you're going to be there with us to teach us and to show us and to guide us. And when we find the gold that you've put in this book, it'll be glorious. It'll be one of the greatest worship experiences we've ever had. And once we experience it, we won't be able to stop. God, put in us a burden for your word, for your truth, so that you can change us to be like you. We love you and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 